Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Well, I took one for the team again, guys. I watch, excuse me, I listened to Joe Biden in his first press conference after 95 days of being in office. And I did watch some video afterwards. It is rather interesting if you listen to something rather than watch it you do get a totally different perspective. I know Rush always uh, said that when people would comment on what he said on the radio versus how he looked on television, and it is distracting. Um, I remember the first times I was on TV and was asking for some feedback from friends and family, and they couldn't really give me uh, much feedback on what I said, but they can really tell you, hey, that tie was pretty ugly or whatever. You had a dark tan or whatever. So it is interesting. So um, I did the same thing I did the other day, guys. I just listened, jotted down some notes. I'm going to chronologically go through them. Um, and again, as I have done many, many times with my analysis of Joe Biden, I'm not going to go down the Alzheimer's Aricept. Uh, he's fallen down four times root. There is enough to criticize Joe Biden about that we do not have to get into um, his, it is an obvious cognitive decline, but he's an old man. He's pushing 80 years old. Um, is that uh, uh, breed confidence? Uh, as the leader of the free world? No, of course it does not. But uh, I have always, for the last half century, had a problem with Joe Biden's policies, his ideology, his disingenuous nature, his you know slippery political uh, affect, if you will, uh, much more than anything else. And I think when we when we go down the road that he slipped three times yesterday, well, so what, uh, you know, um, is, is, does it engender confidence in a, in a young, vigorous, uh, with it type of a leader? Of course it does not, but, but there's enough policy wise that we can criticize, uh, constructively Joe Biden, that we don't need to do all that stuff. So, you know, um, went through a wide array of, Topics. I did find it very interesting right out of the get-go that it was orchestrated. It was very, um, just kind of an eerie quiet. I, I know uh, Donald Trump invokes so much hate and rage that those press conferences were like WrestleMania 4. And reporters could not wait to interrupt or retain the mic when somebody tried to get it away from it. it was crazy it was absolutely nuts but before the donald trump era if you looked at those types of things particularly if a conservative or a republican was um speaking there was n not a lot of decorum uh reporters were interrupting one another they were asking for follow-up questions and very rarely were they getting the the nod for follow-up questions either if it was barack obama or uh, a republican or somebody else and it was it was just a current of you know energy slash dysfunction slash impoliteness 
to one degree or another. Now it, it went way off the Richter scale with Donald Trump, but it was eerie as far as the reporters were very polite. Nobody really, the follow-ups were taken very slowly. Hey, you want another follow-up? I got notes here. And it was, it was just, it was surreal. It was not journalism the way we have seen it over the years. So um, anyway, right from the get-go, you know, the, the, uh, the COVID thing, yeah, we all knew he was going to kind of take credit for the things that Donald Trump started, which was which is fine. Now all politicians do that, but the it was not really. I I thought it was going to be more of a COVID nineteen pandemic type thing, and it was not. Um, it it was pretty much dominated by the immigration thing, um, and. As much as you or I may be uh, students of the game, political junkies, and the things he was saying about the border and the immigration crisis down at the border that he has invited with his rhetoric and his policies, as much as we understand that there is a profound disconnect between the things Joe Biden is saying about it and the things that are actually happening down there... um, in the mind of liberals, oftentimes uh, either voters or politicians, this is not an unusual phenomenon. The, the, the border crisis is very similar to what happened last summer with the rioting in the streets, the reactionary measures of many town councils and blue states uh, as far as defunding the police. And as we have said on this show, when they showed the the Minnesota City, or excuse me, Minneapolis City Council, just absolutely dumbfounded in the spike in crime and the unacceptable um, lack of response for police going to nine one one calls, and and not even for a second connecting the dots that there is a profound cause and effect that occurs when you do something as outlandish as defund the police to the tune of a third or half of the police force uh, or funding is concerned and then expect something different to kind of happen. You know, anybody, you don't have to be a political junkie or Republican or Democrat to understand that if you defund the police and the police can't get to wherever they're going to get to, and if they go there, they are surrounded and people are taking videos of them and they are the enemy rather than our our aid or our last line of defense between bad guys and good guys, then they're just simply not going to show up to certain parts of the city or even if they wanted to, they could not show up because they don't have the numbers. They don't have the funding. The cause and effect of treating the police like they did in the those various municipalities and states last summer and then expecting anything else other than chaos is really all you need to know about the modern-day liberal. And and to, to a, um, a similar extent... What's happening on the border is very similar in the respect that you have an administration 
that has basically said, come on in. And I'm paraphrasing, but not by much. And the citizens in Mexico and various other Latin American countries are not stupid. They realize that they are going to get free stuff. They're not going to be turned away if they have COVID-19 or any other disease. They are going to be uh, assimilated or brought right into the uh, American way of life, uh, if you will, as, as quickly as you know, some politician wants them to be the whole premise being a, a future Democrat voter. So when you get wide scale drug abuse, crime, uh, sexual assault, uh, the um, just egregious uh, treatment of children by coyotes and and everybody along the way, when you get that chaos and, and craziness, and, and you just look up and say, wow, how'd this happen? That is the mindset of many um, disingenuous liberals or, um, dare I say, naive, well-intentioned liberals. They just can't get it when you do something like this. That's what's going to happen. And conversely, when you have Donald Trump at the helm and he says, we're going to build a wall and we will certainly welcome you with open arms if you care to assimilate. Uh, care to respect our Judeo-Christian derived laws and we'll welcome you with open arms. But you're not going to come in here illegally. You're not going to just demand stuff. Uh, Many things that are being demanded are things that that our lower income uh, citizens and middle income citizens can't even begin to access. So when Donald Trump acts a certain way, they get it in other countries. And when Joe Biden acts the opposite of that, they get that as well. And this is what we have. So let me just start, you know, one of the things right out of the shoot, a reporter, you know, I I just, just, these are, uh, you know, I I hope I get to it. You know, Byron York, uh, one of the writers for the Washington Examiner, said it was just a sad day for journalism. And, and we've had many sad days in the last, you know, 12, 15 years in journalism. But you have a reporter saying, you know, Mexican moms are trusting you with their children. I mean, th- this is insanity. It really is. The, the job description of the president of the United States is not some super nanny that is going to be the figurehead for... Uh, moms that are releasing their children to presumably a better life and trusting Joe Biden to care for their children. That just does not compute. Um, So I I thought, you know, right out of the shoot, the question from the reporter pretty much set the table for what we were going to hear for the next hour. And, you know, that was what we heard for the next hour. Biden says they're se- we are sending them back. And he was pretty emphatic about that. And at first I'm like, wow, that's got to piss off the left uh, in his uh, in, in his party. He, he actually talked pretty tough. But, you know, the left understands that the 80 percent of the populace is not on their side in the illegal immigration debate. They are not anti-immigrant. They just want law and order 
respect of a sovereign border and assimilation into the country at the rate where we can handle it. And um, that's not unreasonable. So when Joe Biden comes out of the chute and says we're sending them back, a large percentage of them we're sending them back, he doesn't believe that. That is not a true statement, but he has to say it. He has to placate the 80% of Americans who um, do not want this craziness on our southern border or any border. Um, And then, you know, Joe Biden displayed, you know, some of the cognitive slipping that he has displayed before. And I noticed, as many of you probably did as well, he's okay in the beginning. But as any old man does or is they get tired and as the press conference uh went on he stumbled more he was tired he was searching for words this is this is very sad stuff and i know i said it um probably six eight months ago because i heard somebody else say it and i've never really heard anybody look at it from this angle before. And then I heard it again yesterday by some talking head that I cannot remember, but they said, this is elder abuse. And, and to, to put Joe Biden out there to mortify himself, to embarrass himself is, is really, uh, and, and to just exploit his power hungry thirst to be president and be something uh, is really just horrible. And his wife should be ashamed of herself for standing behind that. She should be protective of him as we get older. If we are fortunate enough to still be married after 30, 40, 50 years, um, our spouses are supposed to have our back and nobody has Joe Biden's back. He is a pawn. He is being used. And it's really, you know, uh, if, if you get down to the, the compassionate human side of this and forget the left-right thing or the Democrat-Republican thing or, yeah, you know, with his policies being so bad for 50 years, he deserves to be embarrassed. No, he doesn't. You know, I, I, it, it's very difficult not to have that attitude. You know, he did this. He's where he is now. Let him, you know, he made his bed. Let him lay in it. I don't think we really should have that attitude. This is this is sad any way you slice it. And for folks on his side, particularly in his inner orb, his family, to basically sacrifice him up there and just, you know, kind of have to prep him for a week to do a simple press conference is is really very um, selfish and exploitative on their part. So there's my... Um, my compassionate side, my defending of Joe Biden, if you will. Um, and, and the reason I said that, the next bullet point I have here, he he says, hey, am I giving you do, too much detail? Um, that sounds weak and unsure of himself. The the As much as Donald Trump was a loose cannon, he, he really could think on his feet. He didn't have eight by, you know, whatever flashcards or, or uh, any any type of notes that that was another thing that was quite bizarre. I, I cannot recall watching or listening to a press conference like that that um, that the person had so many notes in front of them. It was almost like an eighth grade speech where the the young speaker was not really confident with the subject matter, and he had had to have a little bit of a crutch with all of these notes in front of him. Then again. 
apathetic, um, not inspiring, but at the end of the day, very sad. And when your president says, hey, am I giving you too much detail because they prepped the crap out of him for the last week? You know, and, and he wanted to prove that he's up for the job. He clearly is not. But, you know, as I'm going through these bullet points, rather than looking or sounding like a, a partisan or a conservative or whatever, and I, I will certainly sound like that as the show unfurls here. But, you know, as, as I'm reading my notes that I took down, this really, this is pretty sad. It, it, it's a lot of things. It does make you angry because the guy cognitive slip, um, you know, aside, he still knows how to be a disingenuous politician. He's been doing it for half a century and he's still, you know, somewhat good at that. And that is galling. And that should make you angry because you're, your future, your children's future, your grandchildren's future are directly going to be affected by his policies and his lying or selling of these policies. But at the end of the day, it, it, it really, it's just a sad state of affairs. So um, he goes on to say, we'll get around to the filibuster rule. There's a lot of historical precedents for Democrats getting around, and I put that in quotes, laws, procedures, protocols. Uh, can you say Obamacare? So the one of the interesting byproducts of Joe Biden's cognitive slip, if you will, is he does put the truth out there in a way that he should not if he is going to continue to drink the Democrat Kool-Aid and try to pull the wool over your eyes. And when when he says words like, we're going to get around the filibuster, he has swerved into being honest because they will get around the filibuster. That party does not have a respect for the rule of law, procedure, protocol, the, the Senate being a an austere, deliberative body. That's all... Uh, way in the rearview mirror for these people. They have um, long since abandoned any decorum or any of those things. And Obamacare is a very glaring example. And there are many of uh, these politicians getting around, if you will, uh, procedure, protocol, laws, um, and they will do it again. So it, it is interesting that he uses that verbiage because it is indeed accurate. Um, so my next point here I, I, I wrote down is contrary to conservative opinion, I thought he was well prepared to talk about immigration. Um, uh, it was, you know, despite the gaffes and the pauses, it, it was reasonably cogent, but again, I'm watching it from a, a standpoint of somebody that knows the issue and knows the issues of the day and many people that do thought he was very disingenuous and he was, but that would not be the first time that Joe Biden or many politicians have been disingenuous, but they've done it in a somewhat smooth way. And, and for all of the things that we say about him, he's 78, he's this, he's that. I thought he was prepared to puke out some, um, uh, talking points which I thought was um, good, and um, but I mean they, they were they were not accurate. So the problem with all of this is, 
that you and I may have figured out that although he was doing not a half bad job at explaining the border situation, he was lying. And the problem is there's a lot of Americans that still to this day look at Joe Biden as a as a nice, kind, grandfatherly figure. He's the antithesis of Trump, which is not necessarily true. Joe Biden does have a very nasty side to him, and he does lose it more than many of these people probably think he does. But he was explaining the border thing, and there's a fair amount of people that were just drinking it all in and made perfect sense to them. So on to this filibuster thing, which again, it, I think the average American and many Democrats that naively voted for this guy, they don't even know what a filibuster is. Um, he had, he had alluded to, you know, we got to do something about this filibuster which he, he he buttressed his case by saying there have been 58 motions to break the filibuster in recent years. And that's kind of crazy. Well, it is kind of crazy, but he does not tell you that most of those motions to break the filibuster came from Democrats. Uh, this is the height of sprinkling in a little truth with being disingenuous to make a point. And, you know, some of my listeners right now are not going to want to hear this, but Republicans do the same thing and their supporters do the same thing. Um, and what I mean by that is we, we all get, let's just say we're conservatives. I'm not going to say I'm a Republican because I am not, but let's just say we're conservatives. And... Um, we don't like the fact that Chucky Schumer or uh, Joe Biden or whoever, Kamala Harris, tends to be really against something when they're out of power and then for it when they're in power. And the filibuster was their friend when they were out of power. And now it's an annoyance when they're in power. Now, that is being disingenuous, that is being inconsistent, and that is very much what many Republicans were and are and will be tomorrow, because they have reduced this whole thing to if the R says it and it's good, and if the D says it, it's bad. And that's not good. Republicans and their supporters oftentimes look the other way when Donald Trump did things that were not conservative in the least. Um, they were certainly in the order of, of what Democrats do. He was crazy with the executive orders. He assailed his opponents based on dubious facts. Um, you know, he, he could care less about the national debt. The first year he was in office, he grandstanded toward the end of the year when he was going to sign off on another bloated pork laden budget. And it was at the time where uh, Democrats uh, do their usual, we're going to shut down the government thing. And Trump gave every indication that he really cared about our debt and being a financial guy. And 
basically intimated I could care less if the government shuts down. That'll be a few weeks that we don't have to worry about the government. So, But at the end of the day, he did this grandstanding, well, I'm going to sign this begrudgingly, but boy, if another bloated budget ever comes across my desk, I will veto it. I will have respect for our grandchildren and the trillions and trillions of dollars of debt that they have to uh, uh, be saddled with. And um, I really I really mean business. Well, guess what happened? Year two, year three, year four of the Trump presidency, the debt grew exponentially and he didn't raise an eyebrow. That's okay. Do Republicans just, he's got an R next to his name. I love him. I'm not going to say anything. So when bloated budgets come down the pike and Joe Biden signs them and does not veto them, when he busts our budget with crazy um, frivolous this and frivolous that, all of a sudden we get all excited. Why? Do we care about our grandchildren? Um, no, we, we, we perhaps do, but we care more about nailing a Democrat to the wall. So when a Republican does the same thing as a Democrat, there are many people out there that just look the other way. And this example yesterday of, of citing the filibuster and how we got to do something about it. Yeah, you have to do something about it now because it's a firewall that harms you and your agenda. But before, when uh, you didn't have numbers and you didn't have the presidency, you were all for the filibuster. So that is disingenuous. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why I always say, go back to the word of God. Go back to the Holy Spirit, uh, wisdom. Wisdom does not fluctuate. The, the rules and regs of life and, and the principles of the Bible do not... Uh, ebb and flow regardless of if the guy is an R or the guy's got a D next to his name, okay? Wrong is wrong, right is right. And we have to look at these things and filter them uh, consistently. And when we don't, that's not a good thing. So um, we went uh, from the filibuster um as I said before, just I, I noticed at this point of his uh, press conference, just like in the, ba- the debates, he seems to falter as time goes on. Um, he he said, oh, "Hang on, dot dot dot, uh, pregnant pause. Uh, sorry, lost my place." Uh, um, this the, these types of pregnant pauses that seem to go on for an eternity, whether you're a Biden fan or not, they're cringeworthy. They're very difficult to watch. They do not inspire confidence. And whether he's your president or not, whether you voted for him or not, being the leader of the free world, he has to cogently and confidently navigate um, the day. And he does not. And he is very protective and handled with kid gloves. And when he engages in these seemingly endless pauses and and collecting of thoughts, this is not something that engenders one to the president. This is not a confident man or woman does not do this. And it is a big job. He is certainly not up for it. I don't go as far as many of my colleagues on the right side of the aisle with the things they say about him. 
but it is apparent that these um, these uh, big long gaps in searching for thoughts and and trying to just get his footing is just not a good thing. Um, he says uh, at one point in time when talking about the filibuster, um, the need for 51 votes rather than 60. Hey, that's not my expertise. Y- you don't say that. Uh, delegating is something that Donald Trump did very well, and I think a good leader does do that well. But on the heels of fumbling and stumbling, you do not say things like, that's not my expertise. Um so he actually said at this point, um, there are a lot we can, this is a very interesting, uh, you know, comment that I couldn't really follow. I think I understood what he meant, but he actually said, there's a lot we can do while we're talking about what we can do with a filibuster. Now I understood what he meant. But again, he comes across as incoherent. And if you want to be consistent, when George W. Bush struggled to finish a sentence, if you will, and I voted for George W. Bush, I was a pretty big fan of George W. Bush for six years of his uh, his first presidency and half his other. I think he really lost his mind the last two years and a lot of pressures of um, war fatigue and our presence in the Middle East and an economy that was faltering a little bit um, and the, the media talking down the economy for years and years finally led to a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think the uh, confluence of many things in the last couple of years led George W. Bush to do and say some things that were not very conservative at all. And his the grade that I gave him, if you will, went down uh, precipitously based on the last couple of years of his presidency. But again, love him or hate him in the beginning of his presidency, middle and he was another guy that you kind of sat there like you were watching your nine year old in a school play, hoping he didn't screw up his lines. Now, I happen to think George W. Bush is a bright guy and he's somewhat articulate. He's not inarticulate. He's he's certainly not overly articulate, but the same thing when when you cannot string together a coherent thought, um, it does not engender um, uh, inspiration uh, on the part of people that they, they don't leave your speeches being inspired and and resting assured that you're at the helm. And when he says, you know, things like the, the statement that I just dictated here, that, that that's kind of George Bushish, if you will. Um, so that statement and many others, they, they made they, they, they didn't make a lot of sense. Um, he really stepped in it when he said um, the moms are sending their kids to America to flee from horrific conditions, which is probably somewhat true. But then he said, but if they have a mom that we can locate, they're going home. Now, how much sense does that make? You know, he, he's kind of, again, he's equivocating. He's wishy-washy. If you want to state that I am not the figurehead for being the nanny for moms uh, or, or for children of Central America, and 
yeah, if we can locate their mom, they're going back home. Just state that. That's fine. Or if you want to make the statement that I have a heart and I'm being compassionate and if they're fleeing horrific conditions, I can certainly understand that. We'll do whatever we need to do to accommodate them. I I can understand that statement. But, But both of those statements, one on the heels of the other, just gives a a profound mixed message and it it just it 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 indicates that he's talking out of every side of his mouth and he's just not on top of his game um in many respects um at this point i was writing some notes he continued to falter losing his place uh when he said where am i here that's not a good thing that is just not a good thing uh, for the import and the formality of of the uh, of what happened yesterday, I mean, you might want to say that if you're on the golf course, but you certainly don't say that at your first press conference in 95 days, when people are wondering, you know, why haven't we seen you? Why haven't we heard you in this forum? <clears throat> Excuse me. You don't say, uh, "Where am I here?" So. Actually, he he did say he wants to help people that are getting it stuck to them. Now, this is when I know earlier in the show, I said, you know, as I'm going through these notes and at various times listening to this, I had some compassion for the guy and the situation he's in, even though he put himself in that situation and others put him in that situation. But here's where. I'm with a lot of you that my ire gets up, my anger gets up, and I'm not feeling sorry for doddering Joe who's just searching for a thought and just wants to go off in that good night. At this point of the uh, press conference, I'm getting a little angry, just as you are, when he makes statements like he wants to help people that are getting it stuck to them. Now, the us and them rhetoric that Democrats have engaged in since, you know, in the last hundred years, it works. It works for a lot of reasons. People get throttled up. They get emotional. They, the more emotional you get, the less thinking logically that you are doing. And it does seem to work. So, uh, and that's another thing that should get your ire up and that, that it does work uh, with people that are presumably intelligent and should know better. That's where you come in. You listen to shows like this. You listen to other shows. You um, get your marching orders from the word of God. You're a conservative and it is incumbent upon you to go out and educate people and, uh, you know, on the heels of our show last week in a loving, uncompromising, forthright way and talk to them about that comment. You're at the water cooler, you're um, wherever you are in the community. And somebody says, yeah, really like what Joe Biden said about uh, that he's for people and he, um, he really has a heart for people that are getting it stuck to them. That's when you have to unpack it. You don't have back to the principles that I tried to lay out in the show last week. You don't slap him in the head. You don't say, well, what are you talking about? Stuck to them. Um, you figure out a way to meet them where they are. Why do they believe that this man 
who uh, has a long history personally and his party of, of having so much blood on their hands when it comes to sticking it to the average American. Um, how and why does this person believe that Joe Biden or anybody like Joe Biden has any degree of credibility making a statement like that? I want to help people that are getting it stuck to them. The federal government, uh, which Joe Biden is a big fan of and he has been a big part of for half a century, um, sticks it to you and I every single day in the form of oppressive taxation, which um, basically is, is a sticking it to everybody. If you're poor, if you're middle class, if you're rich, um, the area of oppressive regulation um, that sticks it to business owners, specifically small and large, but that hurt, if you will, trickles down to you and your wallet and you're affected by that as well. Um, the uh, promotion of abortion, and sadly in the last few years infanticide, um, that sticks it to everyone, um, particularly the African-American community who has lost a very large disproportionate number of babies in the last 50 years uh, to abortion. Joe Biden, uh, Catholic that he is, and his party have uh, done everything they can to encourage that, to fund that. And if, 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 if you could define what sticking it to someone really is, I, I, don't, I don't see a better example than abortion and what that does uh, to our society. Um, yet, even though African-Americans are affected uh, disproportionately by abortion, infanticide. They vote for Democrats 90% to 10%. What do we do there? We have to un, we have to crack that code. We have to speak to individuals and say, what's going on? I, I see you in church. Uh, I, I know you have a very loving committed relationship with your husband and you have children and you respect our Judeo-Christian laws and what is it about Joe Biden and that, that you find attractive enough to vote for? Well, he really likes to help people that are getting it stuck to them. And then maybe, just maybe, you can politely, lovingly tick off a few things with this person like taxes, abortion, uh, disproportionate regulation, um, the promotion of illegal immigration, which is was basically the, the, the biggest part and the thrust of his press conference yesterday was talking about the, uh, the border. And he didn't obviously say the word illegal immigration, but illegal immigration hurts everybody. That is a colossal stick it to everybody. Um, in so many ways, we don't even have time to go into all of those ways. Um, it is taking jobs away from citizens of this country. 
It is endangering people as we're seeing at the border. It's endangering, it's a public health menace because people are not being screened, not just for COVID-19, but many things. Um, it, it's it's devastating. It, it brings down wages. It adds to unemployment. It, 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 is, it is a colossal stick it to the American citizen. So for this guy to say, I want to help people that are getting it stuck to them is just, it is, it is so disturbing on so many levels. And rather than we have to be righteously indignant and we have to let this thing simmer, but we have to go out in the community. We, it, 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 it's a little bit more than just voting for the right person. We have to go out in the community. We have to talk to people. Why do you feel you're getting it stuck to you? And oftentimes they'll articulate some things and then you'll say, well, you know, your city has been run by liberal Democrats for 75 years. Yeah, but those Republicans, hey, let's stop talking about the Republicans for a minute. Let's talk about the fact that your city has been run by Democrats for 75 years and they've been sticking it to you and your husband and your children and your neighbors for 75 years. How does that make you feel? So we got to do stuff like that and we, we can't press too hard. We got to know our audience. We got to know our venue, but we, we have to be the antidote to individuals that watched that yesterday and just shook their heads like uh, lemming like yeah this guy's not crazy like the last guy i really like him he's really for me he's gonna send me a check um, for fourteen hundred dollars that's wonderful um at this point joe biden actually said the federal budget is saving people's lives now uh, Again, uh, I'm I'm at the fifty thousand, or I'm I'm in the weeds for for many of you. But the first thing I take from that is, if you and your party are for taxpayer-funded abortion and Obamacare, um, is is um, you know something that is very detrimental to to. Uh, to our society, how are you taking care and saving the lives of people when abortion is terminating lives? I, I don't really understand that. Um, the federal budget is saving lives. That's what he asserts. Um, this is outlandish, perhaps to you and I, but the average American, do they know that that's outlandish? Um, do they know that the party that they voted for wants taxpayers to pay for abortions, which don't save lives, they terminate lives. Um, a bloated federal, oh, excuse me, um, bureaucracy that is indeed the federal budget, they destroy lives, they don't save lives. When you print money as our government is doing at a fast and furious rate, you are causing inflation. You are artificially um, 
whacking, if you will, the economy. You, you are making it impossible for a big and particularly small business to do what they need to do to pull out of this pandemic. And the, this these bailouts, this printing of money, this uh, encouraging of inflation, if you will, what that's doing when the uh, it devalues everything. So when Joe Biden, who says the federal budget is saving lives, graciously and beneficently gives you a few crumbs back in the form of a check, guess what? All of this money printing that he's doing actually will make that check that heretofore might seem like a lot of money to you. Wow, it's $1,400. We're not a rich family. We could do a lot with that $1,400. No, you can't because these people are destroying at warp speed the economy. So that $1,400 because of this money printing and this destruction of this economy is not going to buy you anything. You you may pay off a, a credit card bill and a few other things and then it's vapor. It's gone. And then, then what do you do? Do you sit there and patiently wait for the federal government to save your life? Do you wait for, as that reporter said, Papa Joe uh, to be the, the mommy and the daddy for, for you and, and to take care of you? He's already taking care of the young babies that are coming from uh, Central America. He might as well just take care of you too, right? This is madness. And, and this, this lack of self-reliance that we have in this country and how ripe we are to fall for these this, these platitudinous lines of the federal budget budget saving lives and and all of this crap that that he puked out yesterday it, 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 that's the concern the, the the policies themselves are horrible and they have to be dealt with on a legislative um, uh, in a legislative manner but the the far bigger problem in this country is the lack of thought, the, the fact that so many people can be swayed by a smooth line or this demagoguery that the Democrats have been very effective doing for a number of years. That's the bigger problem. Um, so we go on. Um, he, at this point in the speech, went on, well, it wasn't a speech, the press conference, went on this um, union pandering diatribe and he does know where his bread is buttered and i remember santorum saying this uh years ago on cnn like the 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 subject came up of joe biden searching for thoughts and cognitively slipping and etc etc and you know i i think senator santorum was rather kind to him and just said look if you are a animal such as joe biden you regardless of any aging if you will you have so many pathways burned in your head of of the right buzzwords to use and phrases to use and he still is quite effective that's why i think when we go down that road that you know crazy joe and demented joe and all this stuff i i think we're not giving joe biden as much credit as he deserves he is still to this day at 78 years young, very good at demagoguery and pandering and this us and them thing. And it's the big guy versus the little guy and all this crap that he has been so, 
used to pedaling for 50 years, and he started it again yesterday with a union pandering. Unions built this country. Yep. And now they're destroying this country, uh, particularly the teachers unions. Our kids are not back in many uh, urban schools for one reason and one reason only, and it ain't COVID-19. It's the teachers unions. And for this guy to say that unions built this country and um, overlook the fact that the destruction of many of these unions and and what they have uh, foisted, if you will, on on you and I is, is just so disingenuous. But he knows where his bread is buttered. He always goes back to the union thing. And he has always been a big union guy, and he always will be a big union guy, regardless of how detrimental they could be or are to many sectors of our populace. Um, What's interesting in the waning moments that we have here about Joe Biden, um, his rambling, particularly of late, is, is a good thing in, in this respect. And I will say this, when Joe Biden talks long enough, he swerves into the truth. And I don't think he is sharp enough as a politician anymore to cut himself off or feel, um, hey, I'm, I'm getting a little too close to making sense here. And I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to keep up the demagoguery. And he had one of those moments when they brought up China and he said, um, he said this, and I don't even think he, he, he sw- realized that he swerved into a coherent thought, but he said, no leader can be sustained unless they hold the values of the country. Now, that is a very true statement. Um, now, uh, election integrity aside, and that's a whole nother show, if you have honest and fair elections, which heretofore we used to have to some degree in this country, but let's just say Fantasy Island here, we have free and fair elections in every state. That statement that Joe Biden made yesterday, no leader can be sustained unless they hold the values of the country, is very, very true. And that's why, first and foremost, ladies and gentlemen, we have to be behind our state legislators and our governors and our attorneys general and our states when they are trying to fast and furiously, hopefully before the 2022 elections, to clean up this election uh, thing in, in each municipality out there. Because if they do, Joe Biden's statement rings very, very true. And if the electorate smells that their leader or leaders are not in step with what their values are, they will simply vote them out of office. So interestingly enough, Joe Biden did swerve into, you know, a, a very accurate statement that that is accurate uh, globally. Uh, and because if, if you, no leader can be sustained unless they hold the values of the country. That is true if you have a free society that is not true if you have a uh, fascistic uh, setup, uh, setup of government or, or a dictatorship or a totalitarian government. Uh, any, any of these um, types of, of uh, systems, if you will, the leaders, particularly the figureheads, 
they could give a rat's rear end about their people and if their values are in step with the rest of the country. They they foment propaganda. They do what they want. They say what they want. And because their subjects, if you will, and that's probably the most accurate word, are indeed not free to think, then it really doesn't matter if they hold the same values uh, that their leader does or their leader respects their values and um, governs accordingly. It doesn't matter because they're not free. But at least at the time of this uh, airing, we are some degree of free. So Joe Biden's statement that he is not going to be an effective leader or uh, be sustained, if you will, or, or propped up or keep uh, you know uh, his power base if he is out of touch with us. I think that's that's a hopeful way to end the show, and I think it's a hopeful way to to go forward here. Um, let's let's agree with Joe Biden, and that was toward the end of his uh, conf or his. Uh, his presser yesterday, but let's agree with Joe Biden. Let's hold Joe Biden's feet to the fire and let's articulate our principles and our values. Let's educate ourselves as to what this country is, what it's all about, what it's sliding toward, what we don't want it to become. And let's hold Joe Biden's feet to the fire and let's make that statement ring true in Joe Biden's ears. Uh, let's, let's force Joe Biden and to, to preside over a country where he does indeed respect the values of the American citizens. And he does not right now. Uh, so whether he realized it or not, and I'm sure he did not, um, he just kind of puked that out because it was a nice kind of interesting saying. But let's leave it with this. Let's, let's hold Joe Biden's feet to the fire and make him respect our values and the best way to make him respect our values is uh, you know get a message across to him in 2022 that we're not going to elect a bunch of statists a bunch of folks that that do not love liberty and that are taking liberties and freedoms away from us fast and furiously let's flip the house of representatives let's uh, expand on um, the number of uh, senators that that we have that are conservative, if you will, in 2022, will that change Joe Biden's ideology? Will he become a uh, a lover of freedom, a, a student of the American uh, history, and and someone that wants to make this country great? Probably not, but uh, at the least, I can tell you what it's going to do. He's a political animal. And he, even if he doesn't, even though he said he wanted to run in uh, 2024, even if he doesn't, he, Bill Clinton, and all of these guys are concerned with legacy. And if 2022 is a tsunami of defeat for Democrats, he will shift. He will pivot. The last two years of his administration will will become better. It'll become closer to what we as conservatives might might. Uh, want to live in. So let's just hope that um, Joe Biden is right and we hold his feet to the fire and he cannot govern in a way um, that is uh, out of step with you or I. This is Reshaping America, Kurt Flewelling. Until next week, have a great day.